0: Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual, and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the
1: Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Black
0: Sea in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bear's Paw, Morley, and Chinooki. We acknowledge the Satina who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visited. We are all treated people. Yeah, i'm loving the flamingo i'll just get that comment out of the way the shirt is just <laughs> brightening my day because um to be honest i'm feeling a little nervous so it's oh, it's okay. good to have the the color pink in front of me it's very nice oh, i'm
1: i'm glad that i chose this shirt this morning man, because like yeah, i totally. want I, hopefully you be comfortable that's for sure
0: i am i'm certainly comfortable and you know when i was reflecting this morning on this it's really kind of that Um, energy of doing things that we're afraid to do, because that's how we get better at them. And I just think about building a muscle. Um, And no matter what Mm -hmm. it is we do in life, the more we do it, the better we get at it. And this is very new to me. And so thank you for taking the time to respond to my email and your graciousness to do so.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. It was my pleasure. I'm so glad you reached out. It was, uh, it always makes me happy when I can connect to new people like it really does. Yeah, Uh, probably sounds lame, but it does make me happy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't it at all. I mean, being in recovery and being in this industry, in this space, you know, connection is 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 the thread that keeps mm. it all together. And you know, i've I've had the pleasure of listening to um, some of your previous guests and and, you know, the stories that they're sharing are full of power and inspiration. Mm. And so, you know, just honoring that with so much gratitude that we can have a voice like this behind recovery because it's yeah. just so impactful to hear that people are not alone on this journey.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's helped me so much as well. Um, well, Kimberly, thank you for joining us. And and I'll, I'll just let you take us away. Tell us, um, tell us about you, tell us your story. Cause that's what people really want to hear. Nobody wants to hear my shit. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they do. And I hope that they have already. Mm, um, you know, you. again, reflecting this morning on my story, there's so many layers and so many, you know, pieces and, and uh, parts to it. So, um, and again, this isn't something I've ever done kind of, I've done it in snippets, but never mm. kind of as a whole. So, um, I mean, my story, like many of us in recovery, I came into this world not in a peaceful place. Mm. um, starting, you know, with my family and to give this story some context in my recovery journey, I've done an immense amount of healing and releasing Mm. and letting go of these circumstances I was born into, into the trauma that I experienced. So as I share this story, there's a lot of compassion and forgiveness, you know, towards my family and there's no hardship. And Mm. I truly understand that, you know, parents, do the best that they can with the tools that they have. And so I was born into this world. Um, I have an older sister. Um, Three years after she was born, I came into the world. Um, I was born in Northern Ontario. I grew up uh, in on the North shore of Lake Superior, about two hours east of Thunder Bay in a little tiny town. and, you know, I, to be honest, due to the complex trauma and the environment I was surrounded on, my memories of childhood are very vague mm-hmm. Um, because of what happens to the nervous system, right? I'm sure yeah. you're aware we tend to black those kind of things out. Yeah. And so a lot of the memories I do have are sadly not full of joy and happiness. Um, some memories with my family, you know, do involve a lot of alcoholism, a lot mm-hmm. of addiction. Um, My father... uh went to rehab when I was eight years old. So that was kind of a pivotal point in my childhood where I realized, you know, really things weren't right. There was a lot of rage and a lot of anger. Um, My mother was a very sensitive woman. So a lot of tears. um, And again, a lot of Alcohol as a child witnessing that the only the happiest times I ever saw was when they were very intoxicated and in that party energy and so as a child growing up in that that's kind of what I adopted as Mm -hmm. what looks like fun right so. Coming into um, high school, uh, around the age of 15, I had already started on the path. It was kind of inevitable. I was the wild child. I was the outspoken one. I was the one who didn't take authority. Nobody could tell me what to do. Because to be honest, witnessing that kind of environment at that age, and I was born with a really kind of high level of awareness already. So I kind of felt that that... um, connection to spirit was there at a young age. Mm-hmm. So, so so, having that already within me as a child and stepping out and watching the environment that I was growing up in, I thought, I don't need these people. Like I can do this on my own. So just after grade nine, I had a ripper of a house party. Everybody was there from my little town. My house mm-hmm. got absolutely destroyed. Um, a lot of damage a lot of carnage my parents were away my parents didn't weren't around a lot they loved to be out camping and they loved to be outdoors kind of i think disconnected from the chaos that was in the house right mm-hmm. um so they weren't around a lot so the night of the house party police were called parents came this was the life-changing moment um, my parents said you gotta go
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so i said i took that as an out you know, the house yeah. was fueled with with rage and anger and abuse and more verbal abuse. I don't want to plant the seed that I that I remember ever being physically abused. However, the verbal abuse and the anger and the rage, just all of that really wasn't serving me. And I knew that. And so I took the out and I moved from northern Ontario to southern Ontario. And I moved just outside just north of Toronto. My grandmother took me in. And so that's kind of when I really started um really tapping into the outdoor world of of so of um being social, of partying and really like really getting into it. 15 years old, 16 years old, I had already experienced all of my firsts, you know, um drugs, rock and roll, sex, all of those things. And of course, being that young and not coming from much money, I needed to get work. And this is where the story starts with my hospitality connection. So mm-hmm. I was welcomed with open arms at a very young age and I started working in restaurants um, throughout high school um and then into college and that's kind of where it took off and I I think I worked in about 24 restaurants in in 25 years. So I moved a lot. I was never stable. I moved around a lot um and so Yeah, um, moved in with friends. I went to school in in Barrie, Ontario and immersed in the hospitality industry. What that did is it really allowed me to mask all the pain I was feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, it was a party scene. It was center of the social scene. very transient, very chaotic, you know, we thrived in the chaos, it was it was a great place to sweep all of it under the rug, and not even address it, you know. Um, So, After school, after finishing school, um, I started traveling and I started bouncing around restaurants and that's pretty much how I spent about 20 years, I lived all over Canada, I I worked in Whistler, I worked in Lake Louise, um, I have worked in Windsor, Ontario, I worked uh, in Barrie, Ontario, um, and then I realized that I, I wanted to go and explore overseas. And so it's interesting because when I hear other people's recovery stories and sometimes you want to undermine your own because I never lived on the street. I was never without, I was kind of a function addict, you know, Mm -hmm. so I could maintain the lifestyle I was living and, and not become destitute or, you know, so, um, you know, in my twenties, early thirties. It seemed great. I seemed like I had everything. I was traveling. I was working in restaurants. I was making my way up in the restaurant industry. I became a sommelier. So great. I was now getting paid to drink. Um, And again, continuing to sweep all my emotions. I completely ignored what I had gone through in childhood. And um, I ended up leaving Canada in 2009. And I went over to Australia and I did the working holiday visa. Again, lots of fun, beach life, partying, um but really within all of that what looked like wild fun times I was really broken and Mm -hmm. I can reflect on this I was the person I I I picked up journaling when I was really young and that connection that I had that high level of awareness I was able to filter into my journals and so even though on the outside it seems like wow this girl has a lot of fun and a lot of friends and I was Mm -hmm. sexually active and you know it it seemed like what else could you ask for?
2: Yeah.
0: But yet if you opened up my journal and read those entries, you realized, holy shit, there's a broken little girl in here who, you know, sometimes I'd go home and cry at night. I'd go out after work with the staff to the pub, have a great time, maybe go home with someone next day. The, sh- the, the weight and the energy of the shame and the guilt that started piling up on me was tenfold as the years continued it just kept piling up because I wasn't facing it Um, so I left Australia I went to New Zealand and this is where the drinking really started to take hold Um, I became a sommelier so I was now drinking you know and getting paid essentially um, I was in relationship. Which is like
1: the perfect job for alcoholics.
0: It's it a <laughs> perfect job
1: for us. Yeah,
0: it really is. You know, and yeah. and um, being in hospitality, I saw that with, you know, whether you're a liquor rep or a bartender, it just, it fed the beast, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah. not only just feeding the the addict, but feeding that little girl all the love and the attention and the everything I didn't get when I was a child. The hospitality industry gave me Mm -hmm. instant gratification, right? Admired and praised. Um, I just wrote a a poem today and I put it on social media about, yeah, but being admired and praised and all of that, but yet slowly dying of exhaustion on the inside. People don't realize the toll that that takes. Mm. Um, So, yeah, New Zealand was really when I reflect back when I, the drinking started, I was hiding it more, I was doing it during shift now, um, hiding it from friends and from my boyfriend at the time, you know, hiding the empty bottles under the deck, he would go to work if I was off that night, I would get dr- drink myself to sleep alone, you know. Um, but again, during the day, acting like everything was okay. And this is like, this is where I think there's a get like, it's really hard to be in that place of so much suffering, but having to pretend
2: mm-hmm.
0: and my heart goes to anyone that's out there. That's listening. That's in that space of living like a dual life. Um, yeah. You know, it, it really was it's a
1: hard life, a
0: hard yeah. life to try and pretend that you're someone that you're not. Um, and so that relationship obviously fell apart pretty quickly um, we had actually come back to Canada together and it didn't take long. We moved to Whistler. And if you know anything about the Whistler lifestyle, it either, you either really thrive or it can eat you up and spit you out. And yeah. in my case, it ate me up and spit me out. And that was my second attempt at making Whistler work. I really love mm-hmm. to ski. Um, but however, it, it, the lifestyle there didn't do me well. And so, um, I left with CERN, I went to Vancouver in, I think, about 2015, and so now I'm in my early 30s, still working in the industry and still playing the the dual role, although now it's starting to show a little bit more. I can't really keep it together like I I could in the past, and so I moved to Vancouver, and of course there was always work for me. But the 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 thing about hospitality is no matter where you go, even there's always a restaurant and, and mm-hmm. I was really good at it. Yeah. I was really good at it drunk. I was really good at it high. I was really good at it half asleep. It was second nature to me to do this job. And so um, on that level, really grateful that I was always able to maintain a roof over my head and food on my plate during this journey, because I always could maintain that employment piece, which is really hard for a lot of people. Now, as I continue the story, there's a few, you know, blips in the in the story that um, it didn't work out that way right till the end. You know, employment yeah. was hard to keep. So um, I moved to it gets company. harder and
1: harder too, right? As time goes on, it just gets harder to keep those jobs. Yeah,
0: it does indeed. It, it does because it starts to show. No matter how long you think you can kind of hide that dual, that split personality, it it no matter what, it catches up to you. Or it takes your life. It's yeah. really two. It's two options. The third option is is stop and get help. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was working in a very nice restaurant in Vancouver. Um, you know, my, with my experience, I was able to work in fine dining. I was able to, mm-hmm. you know, exceed expectations on the level of service, regardless of what I was experiencing. But of uh, 2016, um, so my father. Um, I know I had spoke a little bit about him through childhood. Um, he maintained sobriety after going in rehab for 10 years. So from the age of eight, for myself to 18, my father was a sober man, but he didn't do any work on himself. So he was a very, very angry man, right? Mm -hmm. So he was, he just projected all of that shame and everything out to the world. And so um, throughout my travels, I did keep in touch with the family, not by any means of a very like, you know, deep and secure relationship, not really on any emotional level. Um, But I had a big heart for my father because I saw that he was, he tried, he tried his best. And and so I I saw that. So I always had time for him and, and um, he sadly started drinking again um, when I was 18 years old. And that's when his slippery slope started taking it on a very rapid rate. Um, And so in 2016, um, my father um, passed away at the age of 59.
2: I'm so um,
0: sorry. That's okay. Thank you for acknowledging yeah. it. It's been obviously seven years now. Um, and yeah, my
1: dad just passed last year, so it's all pretty fresh for me. So
2: It
0: yeah. is. And, you know, um, is your it, it, do you have is your mother still alive? And the, the yes, reason I ask you is, bet. is the one thing about losing a parent, um, you think that you can prepare yourself because yeah. I knew he wasn't well, he came to visit me. When he found out that he wasn't well, he did a trip across Canada. Um, and when he came to see me, I should have known that he wasn't well, but um, he looked—he probably looked about 85 years old and he was only 57, you know, so he was really wow. just throwing the towel in. he was giving up. Yeah. And um, the reason I say this is, so I knew that he wasn't well, I knew that he wasn't gonna be with us for much longer, So I thought I was prepared. I thought, you know, I I journaled about it. I reflected on it. I really, even though I still, I drank, I drank myself Mm -hmm. to sleep many occasions thinking about how how helpless I felt in helping him. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And um, so, yeah, no matter how much you can prepare, and I'm sure you can relate to this, once it takes place and that thread is no longer here in the physical realm, um, it changes your life. It, it truly does. And so yeah. my heart, you know, anyone who loses a parent, a sibling, any loved one, really, yeah. um, it's, it's a part of life, but it sure does really influence the way that you look at life and the way that you look at other people and the way that you hold compassion for others and, and empathy. So, um, yeah. yeah, losing my father in 2016 was pivotal. Again, another pivotal, pivotal point in my life. Um, yeah. It was dark. I, um and I wasn't in the energy to go anywhere to help to be there for him. I couldn't, yeah. I had no money. I had money, but it was all going towards feeding the addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my cocaine use was on the daily. Um, I probably yeah. used cocaine daily for about the five, six years I was in Vancouver, right up until about the last year before I got sober. I was Heavily into it, just numbing everything I could because I didn't know what direction to take. Um, feeling really lost, um, and then I started losing my jobs, <laughs> and that's when, again, you know the um, the wake up calls start happening. Yeah, you know. Um, so I lost um, four jobs in a row over the course of five years. Before I really said, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing? And so I'll just rewind a little bit back because I want to talk about you know my coach and and how I how I ended up getting help. But I was in when I was in New Zealand in twenty twelve. I was introduced to this woman named Marianne who was recommended to me by an employer, and she was a really out there woman. Um, really out there kind of um you know psychic medium Mm. really really kind of, as people would say, woo woo. And I was already kind of tapping into that spiritual side through my journals and through some books Mm -hmm. I was reading. So I was open to having this experience with her. And so in 2012, um, I met her and we did a, um, an inner child healing journey together. And it was the first time I had ever done that. And so Mm -hmm. it was really impactful and so powerful, very powerful. And, Mm and, and, Even though I never took my healing anywhere after that, that experience with her stayed with me throughout. I had just always remembered. And so back when I was in Vancouver and I was, you know, not able to keep a job, relationships were falling apart. My bank account was blowing in red, even though I, you know, restaurant, it was good money what I was doing. I was serving tables and making tips. Um... I remembered this woman and I thought she just made such an impact on my life. I wonder where she is. And so good old social media. Right. So I went on Facebook and um, I was able to find her. And after some back and forth, because I had no money, I couldn't afford her services, but I just really really wanted, there was something I really wanted to work with her. And so, uh, gratefully she, um, we came to, uh, uh, an agreement and, the main thing was that she said, you gotta show up. I'll do this for you, but you gotta show up. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) And so um, I started showing up and it was amazing. So I asked for help. It took about two years, I'll say, before I I finally hung up the drink and said no more. But really showing up and working with her was so incredible because it started the momentum of what, like the courage that it takes. And the strength that it takes, and how badly do you want this? And Mm -hmm. I wanted it bad. It's like I had a little angel on my shoulder the whole time. Again, I'm going to say journaling because that's where Mm -hmm. I spoke to that angel. I spoke to that unseen world that I knew Mm -hmm. was there. And I'm not, and when I speak to this, this is my truth and my belief because Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, everybody has to come to their own terms with what helps them. And this angel was what helped me. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Marianne became my physical angel in this mm-hmm. realm. She, you know, I felt like she was there in 2012 to come back all the way back around to these moments in 2016, years later. You know, mm-hmm. it was um, an incredible experience. And so we didn't just do kind of, you know, the... um talk therapy or, you know, we didn't just do that. She was really into moving energy again with her psychic abilities and her connection to source. We started working on moving energy. And so I really adopted um, a practice called EFT tapping. Okay. I I don't know if you're familiar with this. Not at all. No. So EFT tapping, essentially, if you're looking at the energy body within us um, we have energy meridians that run through our body And Mm -hmm. so like acupuncture, which I'm sure you've heard of, so acupuncture, it actually triggers on these energy points that may have stuck kind of trapped energy and it releases it. And so back, this is a link to Chinese medicine, and I know that it was really adopted, this practice, I think in the 80s. Um, So these energy pathways are all over our body that may contain trapped energy from things like childhood trauma that hasn't Mm -hmm. been felt, hasn't been acknowledged. We've been taught and didn't know any better, but we suppressed all of that. And so with this coach, by uncovering those, so with these energy meridians, by tapping on these specific areas of our body that may contain those trapped energies, what we do is we release them by using cognitive behavioral therapy. So we build a narrative around, say, my childhood, or those impactful moments that I had that are still playing out in this adult life. Because essentially if we haven't felt our feelings, they're still coming out in some way, shape or form Mm -hmm. in this adult life. And so that was one of the most incredible gifts of knowledge that I ever got on my journey because practices like that, again, started that momentum of really healing Mm -hmm. myself from all of the things that I had suppressed and forgotten about. In, yeah. in the in the days of drinking and drugging. Um so September 1st, I mean, so I've I mean I had to get out of the restaurant industry. I'll just put my hand up and say I couldn't do it. Um yeah. I I hung my apron up and put the corkscrew away and I took 2 years off of the industry and I took an incredible job working with a local fisherman in Vancouver. I was a delivery driver so that really helped me stay off the sauce. Mm-hmm. I don't advocate drinking and driving so that really did help me stay on the yeah. straight and narrow. I couldn't drink at work like I could when I was in restaurants or hide it. Mm-hmm. Too many obviously with this new job, too many things were, you know, um too many liabilities that I knew yeah. and so With that job, I was able to slow my drinking, slow my drugging, which allowed me to look at it more and ask myself, why do I need this? How does this fit into my life? So as I created the spaciousness in my journey to look at my addicts, as well as working with the coach who inspired me to start doing more practices that got me into my body because that's Mm -hmm. what EFT tapping did, right? It really got me feeling into my body. As an addict, I was disassociated from Mm -hmm. the connection to myself, to my physical body. So that just kind of started the snowball effect of taking on more things like the number one thing for myself when I got sober was yoga, that Mm -hmm. body connection. So
2: Yep.
0: I worked Huge. for the Fisherman into 2019. I went to Mexico in January of 2020 and had one last big hurrah. And that took it out of me. Mm-hmm. Really did. Um, I came back and I was defeated. I couldn't even drink without bawling my eyes out. I couldn't, yeah. you know, I think I even sabotaged my relationship with my drug dealer. Like I couldn't even get, like, it was just, mm-hmm. everything was crumbling. So, and then COVID hit. So. Yeah. You know, that was like, whoa, everything went still and quiet, right? right? Everything was like, what is this? What are we here for? All of a sudden, you know, so uh, September 1st, 2020. So what happened? The story goes the night before August 31st, 2020, I had a staff party with my fisherman crew Mm -hmm. and I knew we were going to be out on a boat. I knew there was going to be drinking. And so i made myself a deal i said this is the last time i'm gonna go four months i said because i'd never gone maybe more than two weeks without a drink but it was i said september 1st to january 1st four months kimberly you can do this end the year you can do this (laughs) i just kind of like yes (laughs) So I went out on the boat that night, had a really nice time, got pretty intoxicated. And I went home and again, I cried myself to sleep. There was no fun in it anymore. There was no joy. It was just fucking depressing.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, you're just getting it in your system, right? At that point.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Just to numb. It's not a party. The party was over years ago. No shit. Yeah. So September 20, September 1st, 2020, I started a 30 day yoga challenge And that's where it started for me. Um, Yeah. Um, So I got sober. I'm still clean and sober to this day. don't necessarily like saying clean and sober. I just haven't come up with another word for it yet because Mm -hmm. I don't want to insinuate that people that are using are dirty. I don't like the language that comes around that. Um, So we'll just say I'm still sober. I'm still in my own power. I took my power Mm -hmm. back and I stuck with it. And throughout that journey... Because I took the time to connect to the unseen world, to, as they say in fellowship, to your higher self, Mm. to that divine, you can call it whichever, God, source, that power that is within Mm. all of us, that innate ability to connect. Because I had that awareness of it and that connection, I started getting like really amazing, like synchronicities and breadcrumbs, right? And you're like, wait a second. I think I'm on the right path here Mm -hmm. like I you know those moments where you don't want to give up I remember day 75 and if you look in my journal it's like oh yeah Yeah. I was like (laughs) I was on the edge of having a drink because it was so Mm. hard all of these things were coming up that I hadn't looked at Mm. and the big piece was the anger and the rage believe it or not that was in my nervous system from my father I had I you know we're we're sponges as children So as that little girl, afraid, I was just soaking in that without even realizing it, you know, in an innocent way. And so, yeah, day 75 was just, it was a big one. The anger and the rage and the, you know, I looking at yourself, I was looking at myself in the mirror with just absolute self-hatred.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. So to, to progress from that, you have to have tools in your belt. Yeah, I do. You really do. And so I adopted self care as much as I adopted using drugs and alcohol. I yeah. literally just went, I got to do this because I yeah. kept seeing these breadcrumbs. And so when I decided to get sober in 2020, I was living in the downtown East Side. I had a, a one bedroom apartment, my back alley was Cordova and Abbott. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if you're familiar with with that area.
1: Somewhat. Uh, Somewhat.
0: I'm sure it's, you know, it's it's a pretty well-known area. So on an energetic level, of course, I was living in that neighborhood when I was actively using... but after two months of being sober, I knew I had to go. I I couldn't, I was walking out my door in the morning and bless their beautiful souls. I was seeing people using, and I love that neighborhood. And I have a lot of compassion. I made a lot of fun friends and, you know, Mm -hmm. people in tent city, I would go and buy food for, and and that's great. But for my own own healing journey, I had to separate it. And so I, uh, by God's grace, um, I was gifted a beautiful apartment in North Vancouver, kind of tucked right in the forest, right beside a beautiful river. So again, the universe was handing me these beautiful signs of connection and and you were Mm -hmm. safe and supported. And I trusted that. And I think that's really important is to trust that process of divine guidance. And I really did. I just kind of sunk into it. And so I lived in, I lived, um, in that place for about 10 months and really started to tap into just self reflection, self-inquiry, the shadow side of me, um, which is pretty scary to do. Mm. Not a lot of people, you know, I think more now more people are open to doing this kind of work, but yeah. I knew it had to be done or I would be back using. And because at mm. that time I had already had about three months under my belt, you get that. I got that momentum. Mm-hmm. And so it's you know just one little story that shows from spirit I moved into this place the landlord was such a wonderful beautiful woman from Bulgaria she had a little gift pack for me you know a little little gift saying welcome to your new home Mm -hmm. and without knowing much of my story she um she'd put a bottle of wine in the in the little gift bag right um and so I looked and I grabbed the wine and the label on the wine said, twist of fate. Ooh. So I still have that bottle of wine to this day on my shelf, obviously mm-hmm. not opened. Yeah. That, was, that was the first sign. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm not going to, that ball of wine kept me sober on day 75. You know, it kept me, it kept me going mm-hmm. um, because I knew that I was being supported some, which some way or form. Yeah. Um, I never adopted any fellowship. I never went to any meetings. I didn't, I really went on the solo kind of mission Mm -hmm. um, until, so after I left, after North Vancouver, COVID was in full force. It was 2021. We were dealing with all of it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. all of the mandates, all of the, the division, all of Mm -hmm. the, All of it. It was a lot for me with what I was experiencing. All of the
1: insanity that was
2: going
0: on. The insanity. To sum it up, the insanity. And as someone who has just got sober, I was really having a hard time facing it. And... Because it was just in my face at work, it was it was a constant and I didn't want to focus on that I wanted to focus on improving our lives talking about how we can heal how we can be better human beings, um, not dividing us on who thinks this is right, and this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I took a leap of faith. (laughs) which I had done a lot in my life. As you can tell, I I lived in about, I think about 16 different places working in 24 restaurants. So I was really adaptable to change. I wasn't afraid Mm -hmm. to be like on the drop of a dime, just pack up my shit and go. I always had that, you know, kind of inspiration. And so I, um, had enough. I was kind of struggling at work, wondering what am I here for? What's my purpose? What is the point of all this? Mm -hmm. You know, I I couldn't, I couldn't find it. I wasn't happy at work. So I went on Craigslist and I was just curiously searching. And I found a 1971 Airstream trailer parked up uh, in the woods on the Sunshine Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, The water was tapped in from the river you know it was really off the grid it was really rugged it looked really special you know a lot of old it growth. sounds
1: special yeah,
0: yeah a lot of old growth forests mm. the trailer was completely refurbished with a big beautiful bathtub in it it's really amazing i would never been to the sunshine coast either which was quite fascinating to me because i had been on the west coast for years all up and down the mm. sea to sky highway and here was this beautiful place like 40 40 minute ferry ride away mm. So I took the weekend off and I came over to the Sunshine Coast and I checked out this trailer and I did it. I quit my job. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what was on the other side. I knew nobody on the Sunshine Coast Um, and I was about a year sober at the time and um, I sold everything I owned. If it didn't fit in my Mini Cooper, it wasn't coming with me Mm -hmm. and I hit the reset button. I just stopped Yeah. and I went. I got to do this. i got to just be quiet for a while and let the world figure out what they need to figure out, but I need to go. And so came over to the Sunshine Coast and I took six months off. I didn't do anything. I lived pretty frugally, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, living in a trailer doesn't cost that much money. Um, And I moved through a lot. That was probably the biggest six months of like kind of dark night of the soul you know, I moved into the trailer in September and I lived there for six months. So I spent the winter in the trailer. Mm -hmm. So it was cold. It was damp. It was dark and it was what I needed. And I faced it and, and I faced it with as much grace as I could. And I let everything come up that needed to come up. And there's so, it's so hell. I just can't stress enough. Like How allowing these emotions such as sadness and anger and rage to be be let out. If you're in a safe container, like Mm -hmm. the screams, the screams that I let out in a safe space, knowing that it was being held by nature, you know, was so therapeutic to me. Oh, it's powerful. It is powerful, yeah. And again, the universe kept giving me these... Like synchronicities that you don't you could you can't even make <laughs> up you know like yeah. you couldn't make this shit up if you tried. Um, I met one of the most incredible individuals about three months after moving to the Sunshine Coast, and I met him. My car got stuck in a snowstorm in his driveway, yeah. and I knocked on his door and he answered and he was also in recovery and he was also like all of these beautiful alignments like yeah. you know spirit guided us to meet. And so these mm-hmm. little things kind of kept giving me momentum to never give up. Um, yeah, and so obviously, not working for six months and living in a trailer kind of took its toll.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I was doing a lot of meditations at the time and I was really into learning about how we can create our own reality because I kept learning this, this, you know, these notions that our beliefs are creating a reality, our thoughts are creating our reality. And so I started really diving into this wisdom and knowledge and using it, implementing it into my life to better my life, to better my circumstances, to, you know, enhance my surroundings. And so I really started getting into meditation a lot more and looking at the way I was speaking to myself. What narrative am I using to myself? How are my thoughts, you know, either holding me back or excelling me forward, which ones don't belong to me anymore. And so really, um, yeah, that, that was so life-changing for me on this journey because now, you know, it's a practice I still use every day, but those affirmations, it's not, People don't just say this to be woo-woo and airy-fairy. This shit works. <laughs> yeah. It really does. We are creating our own reality by what we think, believe, perceive, per- you know?
1: Well, and, and we have to remember that when people say those things sound woo-woo-ish, those are usually people who are like deep and in, engrossed in, in, in some sort of other theory that is just as foo-foo, just as woo-woo-ish, right? Like... For for one person to say that what you're talking about sounds woo wooish, and then to not say that Christianity sounds woo wooish, there's just there's a, such a disconnect there, right? Where it's it's okay for for people who believe in Christianity to make fun of other ideas about health and wellness, but as soon as the turns around, it's like, well, yeah, but that's just not true. Yeah, but none of it's essentially true. It's all true to our experience right like that's and to me that's really what <clears throat> what helped what I've seen help people along the way is when they tap into themselves right they tap into not in the sense that you and I used to tap into our selfishness but I mean into ourselves right like that that like you described it that if you want to call it a higher self if you want to call it like whatever you want to call it there there seems to me after all these years of working with humans, that there is definitely something going on there, right? Like, and and for one of us to say that we know versus what other people know, I mean, to me, that just sounds, that's what sounds woo-woo-ish is when people start judging these things as though one is obviously true and the other ones aren't, right? Like, because yeah. yeah. to me, that makes no sense.
0: Because <laughs> no, I think it's vision. all
1: possible. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. The truth is whatever you believe to be true.
1: hundred percent,
0: Yeah. You know,
1: especially when it comes to those matters of the unseen, absolutely. right?
0: Like, absolutely. it's like, what
1: what makes sense to you? What helps you with this? Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, that's, I guess, on the one hand, there's lots of criticism about the 12 step stuff because of the whole God idea, right? But if people could get away from the fact that it's not necessarily a Godhead kind of idea, what it really is talking about is that energy that we all have and that we share. And that we can almost, like, when you meet someone who you connect with, you can almost see the connection. Like, it's almost tangible, the pull, the magnet magnetism, right? Like, there's something to that. And I know there's, like, right now there's going to be people out there that I know that are, like, psychologists and psychiatrists. And they're going to be like, Uh, yeah, but it's a chemical (laughs) reaction caused by blah, blah. And you know what? They might be right, too, right? There might be, like, a combination of those things going on.
0: Yeah. So essentially what you're saying is there's a little bit of truth to everything.
1: That's what I think. Yeah. I've seen a lot of things like, right. Like that yeah. you can you can kind of go, okay. It's true for those people hundred percent, right. Like the people yeah. that experience um, the kind of love and joy from the fellowship and all that kind of stuff. That's great. Like that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong or right necessarily. Totally. Right. It's just what you need.
0: Yeah. And, and I think the fellowship is great. And to be honest, I know I mentioned, like, I didn't, I didn't, Embrace that at the beginning of my journey because Mm -hmm. I I don't know I I really wanted to go inward. However, I have sat in the rooms and I have had the most incredible conversations with people in recovery. I have built some relationships that to this day that are now actually catapulting me forward as a recovery coach that I met in the rooms. So there's Mm -hmm. so much space for all of it.
1: Hundred percent.
0: Really like throw all the past at the wall and keeps what sticks kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's okay now that like for, for folks that grew up in the rooms, like I did, well I grew up in the rooms because there was nothing else. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't like there was all these choices back when 20 years ago, right. There just wasn't yeah. when you had, but when I sobered up in Calgary, you had ADAC and you had a, <laughs> yeah. you didn't, there was no smart recovery back then, at least yeah. not here. Um, And so and their recovery coaches are the last few years, people are really getting into this, which I appreciate, because we need more help, not less, right? Like we need more people willing to work with humans than fewer, right? We need more of that. So Absolutely. to me, yeah, the upkick and, and also the swing towards coaching, people might like, not quite understand how that's happened. But it's part and parcel to the, to the rooms, like the rooms have created the space for coaches to be needed, right? Because what coaching can take you is further than just the rooms, right? Because the rooms are, and again, I'm not criticizing them. I sobered up and I still go if I need to.
0: Absolutely. And the right? sponsor, sponsor, sponsor yep. and sponsoree relationship is vital to a lot of people's recovery. Because 100%. that connection piece is so important.
1: Yep. Mentorship, though, as you know, mentorship is important in any walk of life, right? Yeah. Whenever you're learning something new, yeah. it's really valuable to have someone who's already learned it. And Mm -hmm. like, right. And so it's, it's, and that's exactly what coaching brings for my, from what I can see, one of the things it brings, obviously there's lots to it. um, But one of the things it brings is it fills a gap that is left when people don't want to go. And for whatever reason, and you know what, like, even if, if a person never believes in God or never believes in the higher self, they can still get well. Right. And they can get well because there's other avenues for that to happen. Right. There's there are now recovery coaches who who some may absolutely tie into the spiritual thing and the unseen, or there might be people who don't. Right. Like, and that's okay too. Yeah. And I
0: think the key in that is regardless of if what you believe in terms of the unseen, as long as you believe you can get well. If you don't have that belief, yeah, you can't. It's that willingness piece. And that I learned at a young age with my father. If you can't, if you're not willing then you have to let go
2: yeah
1: that's the point Mm. that's our jumping off point right is when is when we hit that ultimate willingness right like when you're willing to move to a camper in the middle of the woods for the winter right and stay through the winter like willing to do that that's what it takes right that's the willingness we're talking about and you didn't go to a 12-step treatment center you went and you did what you knew was going to help you yeah right absolutely Yeah. And that's really what it's all about is, is allowing ourselves to be afraid of what's going to come because we don't know when I sobered up, I had no idea what this shit was going to be That's
0: the thing. This is a really good quote and forgive me. I'm not sure. I know Kyle Cease had something to do with it, but someone that he was with had said it and it's about your mind can only see what it has to lose because it can't see what it has to gain. So when you give something up, you're looking at, all you can see is what you're actually giving up you can't see the spaciousness that it's going to create to invite something new in that is tenfold better than what that one thing was that you're giving up.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's not even just drinking or, or drugs or, you know, this can go creating space in your life is, mm -hmm. is, is amazing? I mean, it's been the the biggest help for me to invite in the best life possible. You know, I'm only three and a half years sober after I left the trailer Uh, Thank Mm -hmm. you. You know, after I left the trailer, you know, I actually had to get a bit of work, I I learned how to landscape. I started my own cleaning company. Um, I I found a really beautiful 400 square foot loft cabin tucked in the woods right on the ocean. So through all this personal development and belief Mm -hmm. in myself that I can create the life I want, guess what I have? And Mm -hmm. not in a very long, it didn't take me 10 years to do Mm -hmm. this. I just kept showing up and I kept showing up because I created the space instead of watching Netflix, I'd probably maybe journal or do some yoga or just sit Mm -hmm. in silence, watch my thoughts, cook a really nice meal, all these things instead of the distraction. And and I know that this isn't for everyone. And a lot of people will say, but I'm human. And, and I understand that, you know, having a little bit of entertainment like Netflix, I'm not knocking all of it at all. It's just about, when is it serving me and when am I giving my power away?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And so I noticed yeah. more and more like the giving the power away, wait a second, it's interfering with me creating the life that I want to live. Mm-hmm. It's not just going to be handed to you, but I'll tell you, it's it's simple, but it's not easy,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I think, is kind of to sum up. I agree. Point. It's simple, yeah. but it's just not easy. You got to show up. It's hard. You know, yeah. every morning. So on September 20th, I started a cold plunging practice. I wouldn't say, you know, I, I, because I live right on on the ocean, I have a little um, waterfront spot here that I can swim. And I made a bet with myself, I'm going to climatize my body so I can do this all year long. Yeah. I was in the ocean this morning and it's like minus three outside. You know, so wow. it's like building that muscle. And that practice mm-hmm. has changed my life incredibly on so oh, many levels. Bad. Really has. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's just like you know, building those muscles. And um, again, the universe just shows me in so many ways. And I want to really point out that like, as I'm sharing this, I don't believe that I'm special, because we all have this power. I don't believe Mm -hmm. that I'm lucky, or that coincidences just happen to me all the time. It Mm -hmm. happens because I believe, and I show up. That's why it happens. It's Mm -hmm. not, and, and everybody has that ability. I believe that we all come to this kind of we all come into this world with the same deck of cards yeah. kind of analogy, right? Like, it just depends how we play them, even mm-hmm. though the trauma that we might experience as a child or even the perfect white picket fence home we grew up in,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it's all how we react and choose to navigate life. Mm-hmm. I'll share a little story with you. Back um, in September, I flew to Thunder Bay. Um, My father's ashes hadn't been spread yet. Um, I think my sister was holding him captive in her basement. She wasn't very happy with him. (laughs) And so I I wanted to do that for him. I wanted to spread his ashes. And so, um, it's just a fun little synchronicity story again, that might inspire someone to begin that journey, to connect to that calling of, Mm -hmm. again, the higher power, the higher self. And so, um, I had a really beautiful ceremony. Um, I, I, on, um. September 15th, we went on the north shore of Lake Superior and it was a really beautiful thing. My heart space was open and there was birds flying and I spread his ashes in the lake and then I went swimming with them after. It was was really, really divine and special. And so a few days had gone by um, and it was the morning that I was leaving and my mom was in her jewelry box and she said, hey, Kimberly, would you like this? And um, she hands me this token and on the front it says Renaissance Fellowship. And so what it is, it was a copper coin that my father was given the day that he went into rehab in 1991. And I flipped the coin over, I got goosebumps, and the date stamp on the back of the coin was September 15th. Oh, wow. So this, yeah, so without even knowing, the same day that we had chosen to spread his as ashes was the day 32 years later, after he went into rehab. And so those little synchronicities are just, again, it's about being, a, I think, aware and mindful that they exist because you can't see that you can't see what you don't know is there. Yeah. Right.
1: And most people don't even look for it. Yeah.
0: Correct. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think, what, you know, with all of that, like I just I really live um, a life of, you know, gratitude and appreciation. Those are kind of human superpowers. <laughs> Sobriety yeah, is my number be. one superpower for sure. Yeah. Uh, and number two is gratitude for everything that I have from the food on my plate to the hot shower, to this podcast, everything that I do is just filled with gratitude and that is life changing in itself. Yeah, Again. for sure
2: it is. Yeah.
1: Gratitude is a life altering emotion. That is for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. It truly
1: is. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. I, I am so glad you reached out and it's just uh, your story is incredible. Like, So what are you doing now? Can I just ask? I mean, obviously taking your cold plunges, you're doing that. I'm
0: doing my cold plunges. So I mean, on a personal note, my daily life is really well balanced and very quiet. Um, I um, focus a lot on work right now. So Mm -hmm. um, I have finished in the last year, I've done a lot of recovery coach training, life coach training, um, and immersed myself in um, just my education and expanding my knowledge And also being support for others, um, holding space for others, having deep conversations. And I came to realize full circle when reflecting on my story, what my purpose is here now. And that's to help the hospitality industry. Right on. Right on, you know, full circle. And so um, I have I'm in the process and have created my own private coaching practice where I help um, hospitality professionals, mm-hmm. um, you know, get and stay sober, impact them to live a better life, a more inspiring life, whether they're just sober, curious, they want abstinence, you know, just meeting people where they're at and allowing them to come as they are. Yeah. So I'm right involved on. with that. So I, I'm kind of building that. And then um, I do some work with a nonprofit called Pivot Society that's here on the Sunshine Coast where we really empower and educate, our recovery again in the workplace.
2: Mm, okay.
0: Um, and then I also, what else am I up to? There's something else. Oh, I also just took on a navigator facilitator position with on a dime, which you may be familiar mm. with. It's based out of Calgary. So we put yeah. programs together for people coming out of treatment to really help them navigate life and find, mm. you know, meaningful employment. It's yeah. that purposeful piece. We don't really anchor in a purpose. And that doesn't mean you have to be some like extraordinary like, you know, trapezist or whatever the case is. I got you. Even just yeah, Yeah. even just, you know, cultivating a daily practice shows meaning and purpose in life. And so it's really so we help these um these wonderful participants kind of, yeah cool about that journey so i'm well, immersed in, in being of service and you know mm-hmm. having conversations like this really i love it i love hearing people's story you know i'm getting more yeah. comfortable sharing my story and just letting people know that they're not alone and that's you know why i just give you so much you know praise and admiration for doing what you do
1: thank you so much yeah and that's honestly what you're talking about is why we do it right we just want to be able to share as many people's stories as possible because I know from being around the rooms for 20 years that people's stories have always helped. Like, and, and I've heard, obviously they help others. Right. So it's kind of like a no brainer for me when we decided to do this, it was like, how can we get the stories of the people in the rooms out of the rooms so that regular people who might not know they have a problem, maybe they, maybe they're aware of it, but they might not know what to do. They just hear someone like you telling your story and they start putting pieces together. Right. Like, as we're talking, I'm thinking, like, there's just so much that people could garner from your story. Like, if they're if they're paying attention, right? If we're paying attention, we can really learn a lot from other people,
0: right? Because and, these kind of stories will come on your path when they're needed, right? Things come 100%. to you when you need them the most. And things yeah. come up when they're ready to be healed. And so trusting that. Um, yeah. And, you know and And also, I think one thing just to you know, just to kind of summarize the hospitality piece is that it's so drowning in stigma. and it's not it's so challenging for people to talk about what they're experiencing, whether it's ill mental health, whether it's substance abuse, alcoholism. It's a tough industry to talk about it. Yeah. really is. and And I can relate to the bullying and to the not being heard or seen. Mm-hmm. And so my mission is to let that industry know that, like, I hear you. And there are people mm-hmm. out there that hear you. And there are a lot of organizations doing incredible things. You know, yeah. so tap into me as a resource because that's what I'm here for.
1: Right on. And so um you'll will you be able to email me all your socials, like all the absolutely um, names for your socials if you can email that to me, because we'll attach that at the yeah. when we post this.
2: Absolutely. Um I believe,
1: I believe this episode will come out this week. Um, and so yeah, I'm looking right. forward to people hearing your story because. Well, now I want to come to the Sunshine Coast because I've never been there either. Like I've been in Canada for a few years now and I've never been there. So.
0: Oh, right. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, please. The invite's always open. Oh, it's right amazing. on. Thank
1: you. Because yeah, it yeah. sounds amazing where you are. Like I, as I'm listening to you, like talk about the location, i I'm getting a little jealous
0: it yeah. is yeah it is a, it is, <laughs> it's a, a very jealous. sacred land and and very special and i'm honored you know to to be on these lands um the seashell yeah. nation and and the squamish people and and just acknowledging um you know that i get to play and live on this on this beautiful land so yeah yeah right on Amazing. well thank you and
1: thank you for mentioning that at, at the end there because we do a land acknowledgement for for here for Blackfoot territory of course because that's yeah. The beautiful land that we are on and yeah um the wonderful stewards of this land have taken good care of it
2: right
0: Absolutely. as best they can
1: considering we stole it from them so
0: yeah and I think we need to start <laughs> adopting their traditions and their way of life again and it's that connection I piece agree. back into nature and the way that we treat each other and the way we treat all living beings plants animals yeah. right you know two-legged four-legged the swimming ones the flying ones mm-hmm. so
1: I love that and I'm going to ask Garcy and Michelle just to cut it off right there because Michelle, uh, Darcy's wife, who yeah. did the, the setup originally, yeah. um, she does land acknowledgements all around Alberta. Um, she's Indigenous. She's Dene from the North. Yeah. And uh, Darcy's Métis. So we're fortunate that I get educated regularly um, on, on where we are and how important it is to be to that connection that you mentioned, that when that connection to land comes back, we have connection to each other too, there.
2: Right?
1: Because we're all part of the land, right? Yeah. Like we're part of it. So, anyway, yeah. I could Amazing. gush about that all day. Yeah. I
0: know. I think we could probably have our, you know, lots of cups of tea and a lot of conversations, you and I. I really like your, energy and your vibe and what you're doing. And I look forward to staying in touch and however we can work together in the future, you mm-hmm. know, please always hear.
1: Well, and now that you've opened the invitation, like to for the Sunshine Post, you might yeah. get an email saying, hey, like I'm going to fly out there now. Yeah. So tell me where I can stay. The best places to go, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah,
0: totally. I'm well connected, so y- yeah, whatever you do, I would choose to come. Yeah, spring and summer are the best, as you know. But yeah. um, it's a beautiful place to explore and to play. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Right on.
2: Thank
1: you so much, Kimberly.
0: You're welcome. So you I'll,
1: I'll we'll send you the the link once we all get it all yeah, edited great. and organized. But we're not going to pull anything out of it. I, I like the way it went. If you're okay with it, we'll just. I'm go okay ahead with it play. too.
0: Yeah, I just really trusted and went with the flow. It's Sometimes it's challenging to like, because the story, there's so many moving parts. It's Mm -hmm. like, I didn't want to, you get kind of worried like, oh, what if I should have said this or I should have said that? And I'm really learning to just close up and walk away now and be like, that's what happened and that's what was meant to happen. So again, 100%. that's practice.
2: <laughs> that's yeah, like self-mastery.
0: Is. But again, it's it's about, you know, so I'm just gonna keep showing up to doing podcasts and having conversations because right the more off. I can continue to articulate it, the better. So thanks again.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. I, I hope you have a wonderful weekend.
0: Yeah, thank and you. And I hope you get to
1: do the cold plunge and it's just as invigorating as ever.
0: Yeah. Now that you have me, you'll have my social media. Um, you can always follow me on social media. I sometimes post the videos cool. and People think I absolutely absolutely will be following
1: you on social media.
0: So if you
1: start, if you start seeing David Lurie is following you, that's me. And then Freedom's Path, of course.
0: Awesome. That's great. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. You're eh? welcome. Yeah. Take care. All the best, David. Thank you. All the best to you.